Hello and welcome to Why Bother Podcast. I'm Mark Mayo, a journalist fascinated by the fringes of our mainstream culture and the sort of people that occupy them. During this series, I'll be speaking to some of Britain's smallest political parties to ask them what motivates them to dedicate time and energy into a cause that can often only be rewarded by a grinding election, a handful of votes and a lost deposit. My focus is not so much the policy of these parties, but the people, the culture and the position that they are striving for within our political system. These are tales of camaraderie and morality from those who aim to turn hopeless causes into reality. In this episode, I spoke to the Wessex Regionalists. We explored localism on the Yorkshire Party podcast earlier this series, and I first found Wessex to be in a peculiar position to the typical model of region-focused parties. This is chiefly because, I suspect, the vast majority of the population would struggle to draw Wessex on a map or really know what it is. I wanted to find out how this identity fitted into 21st century Britain and how a party dedicated to it could play a role in our political culture. I spoke to Nick, Jim and David from the party's leadership. My name is Nick Zylus. I'm the Secretary General of the party and I joined in, when did I join? 2010. I'm David Robbins. I'm the Treasurer of the Wessex Regionists and I joined a very long time ago in 1980. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, I'm uh, Jim Gunter. Um, I'm currently the what we call president, the leader of the party. Uh, I've been in the party since ooh, early 90s, I think it is. Um, I used to be in the Labour Party in the 70s. Um, I've got to say, I was, I was brought up in Tony Benn's old constituency, uh, which is quite interesting as a youth. I joined the Labour Party in what was then Bristol South. I attended a few of the branch meetings and was absolutely appalled uh, at that time um, because I worked in an office. Uh, my views didn't count in any of the meetings because I wasn't uh, a blue-collar worker. And I remember one occasion, which to me sport the whole thing, was um, some women's group came in to do a presentation about things. And afterwards, the comments being made were so demeaning and so... Um, uh, well, masochistic. It, it, it appalled me. And it was coincided with me changing jobs and moving uh, up to Wiltshire, so I left. But always interested in the region I come from and the area. And the, I got involved in I'm an archaeologist, so I've always been interested in the history of the place. And um, I vaguely remembered Lord Bath having stood in the um, 1970s. So I contacted him, and he gave me the contact details for the party. So uh, I went along to a meeting, thought, yeah, this is more like it. So I joined. Yeah, I was a part of the Green Party um, a long time ago, back in the 80s and 90s. You know, I didn't have any great sort of ideological falling out with the Green Party or anything like that. I still support most of what they uh, they believe in, but it's just more a question of emphasis, really, rather than anything. They, uh, they didn't seem to be very interested in the idea of regionalism and decentralism, and uh, that was the ideas that motivated me, really. Uh, we're the only party that, well within our region anyway, that uh, put these uh, ideas to the fore. So what is Wessex then? Because as an area, it's not something that is perhaps mentioned or, or brought up very much in the kind of, you know, the media and everything these days. It's not necessarily, even the people from it might not necessarily know they're from it, I suppose. So how would you uh, how what, would you define that, it? That is absolutely one of the big problems. It's the, 
the name itself doesn't mean a lot to people. Um, we're trying to rebrand ourselves as Wessex Regionalists, the party for Southern and Western England, to give it a better, um, easier identity for people. Um, it's true, the media don't understand Wessex, and they think everybody, Wessex, must be from Dorset. Um, although the royal family still claim to be. There is a, one of the princes is um, the Earl of Wessex. The title is used as and when people want it, rather than um, any meaningful way. It hasn't gone away, and it has a meaning. And the, the, think the reason why we decided on Wessex as a region, um, certainly why I was interested in it, was um, the other ways of dividing England from central government have been northeast, southeast, southwest, northwest. To me, they're, they're, they're directions, they're compass bearings. They're not a place with an identity, whereas somewhere like Wessex has got a history, it's got an identity, it's got an accent, it's got dialect, it's, it's got all that, as well as still being very much a modern area with aerospace industries and all the rest of it in it. So why not use that as a, as a brand which gives you a base to build on? Wessex Regionalists are a party that are kind of the equivalent of sort of the Scottish Nationalist or Plaid Cymru. We think that England is too big a nation to have um, an English, well, it could possibly have an English parliament, especially if Scotland and Wales become independent. But um, we think that just an English par um, parliament is not sufficient. There need to be regional parliaments within England. Wessex is basically the old southwest and southern planning regions. Up till about 1965, the south, which was um, Hampshire, Berkshire, Oxfordshire, um, kind of formed a separate region. And uh, round about in, in sometime in the mid 60s, it was joined with the southeast rather than the southwest. This meant um, we've got a very bloated southeast region and a rather Sort of shrunken southwest region. Do you find that there's a bit of a difference into how you perceive Wessex to how other people perceive Wessex? People who, you know, maybe they're not even from the region, from the north, they might hear it and they thought, I think it's a bit middle England. I think that it's a bit, you know, old fashioned, middle class, that sort of stuff. Is that how you see it? Would that is that something you disagree yeah, with? I think we do get um people probably think we are a sort of Saxon reenactment group which is not what we're trying to be at all. We're trying to say there's always been a Wessex. Um, even, even Eric Pickles in Parliament, the old um, community secretary, actually said at one stage, the only way is Wessex, uh, when, when the flag of Wessex was approved as a regional <laughs> flag for flying. Um, so, yes, we are seen as being sort of a, um, uh, either a, a folk music group or a, a reenactment group. And that's one of the problems we've got of trying to have an identity, make the identity relevant, um, but ugh, the media don't seem to be um, that interested. And I mean, one of the things we've always suffered from, in many ways, is Lord Bath. Although he founded the party back in the 60s, he left 39 years ago. Uh, unfortunately, he died this year, but he actually left the party and joined the SDP and then the Lib Dems. And yet, the local media here, local newspapers, if there's anything going on about Wessex, always contacted him because they thought he was still the embodiment of Wessex regionalism. I guess I am officially from Wessex as someone from Reading. That means that yeah. it's it's unusual for, for me as a 
as you know a, a white middle class man to have a party that is not dedicated to those factors of my personality but dedicated to to my identity and to protecting it you could say how does yeah. Wessex fit in with the sort of modern globalized world then where we're seeing identity and everything become so much more powerful but not necessarily for for people like me I'll be wary about saying that we're a party for white middle class people. I don't. Um, <laughs> yeah, of course not. We're for anyone who lives in Wessex. Yeah, I think it's not a question of localism versus globalism necessarily. I think it all fits in. I think we, we campaign to remain within the EU, for example, because the, I think we see ourselves as part of a wider world. But um, I think we believe that political function should be devolved to the lowest level. And that can sometimes mean the regional level. We're the only country in Europe, that, the only big country in Europe that doesn't really have a regional tier to speak of. Germany has the lander, uh, France has its apartments and so forth. But uh, I think we're the most centralized large country in Europe. And that's, uh, that's part of the motivation for it. For it. I, don't, I want to make it clear that we're not a sort of a little Wessex, uh, you know, trying to... Uh, isolate ourselves from the world in a self-contained bubble. I think that for some functions, the regional tier is the most appropriate function. And when you look into it, yes, England has a long history of uh, the country being divided up into regions for administrative purposes. Um, that's always been for the convenience of central government. It's never been used as a basis for um, devolving power to elected, uh, democratically accountable um, entities in the regions that are served. I think Wikipedia said we've been described as an ethno-territorial party or something like that, and we would dispute that uh, description of ourselves. We're not ethno-territorial. We are civic, uh, civic regionalists, not um, like the SNP are civic nationalists and not ethno-nationalists. You stood in 2017 and that is you know sort of legally speaking the broadcast media at the very least do have to give everyone who's standing a fair a fair shout basically to an extent and how did you find that as as an actual candidate in 2017 in terms of you know sort of appearances on television and and radio and the like Uh, well there's an interesting one there the local bbc radio station did run um a broadcast event with the parties various parties across Wiltshire, um, one from each party, but they didn't invite me. I actually asked why wasn't I being invited, and they say, oh, we're going to limit to four people. So they had um, the UKIP, Tories, Lib Dems, and Labour. And we've had it in the past with uh, candidates in elections, not being allowed to attend hustings, not being invited to a husting. I didn't. I got into all the hustings, and I thought it was very, very good. And quite the, uh, a few of the comments I had back from the people who arranged the hustings, and the reporters was very, very positive. Um, but we've actually had the point where we've just not been allowed access to the media, the hustings, anything, which makes it much, much more difficult. We're still seeing this is, this is the problem. It's a fringe group. It's it's um, uh, not be taken seriously group, even though we've been campaigning for, since 1974 was the first election we stood in. And we've been consistent all the way through, and yet... Um, the media still regard us as a sort of a cranky organisation, I suppose. Does that mean that you're beholden to events, basically? You are waiting for, for the, something to land in your lap, basically, and then and make use of that rather than kind of orchestrating as a party and, 
and growing what you might say more organically? Well, I got to say, I, mean, I think over the last 20 years, probably ha- that has been what we were doing. We were waiting for um, suddenly the light to dawn somewhere or our saviour to appear over the horizon. I think the last couple of years, particularly since I took over in 2018, we've been trying to uh, reformat ourselves, if you like. Um, we've adopted a new logo. We've started to rewrite totally the whole of our manifesto, which when I said in 2017, it hadn't been updated for years. So we're trying to do it. We're trying to get into doing more social media, blogs, um, newsletters from members to try and build up momentum and obviously taking opportunities that, that you're providing, like a podcast. Um, so we, we are trying, rather than waiting, to start getting out there and, and getting to be noticed. But it's yeah. difficult. It's difficult to get there. It's, it's a sort of um, chicken and egg thing. Without the membership, you can't get the coverage. Without the coverage, you're not going to get the membership. And how do you find it in terms of it expanding that membership? Is it, uh, is it something that is growing at the moment? Is it something that... It is. Actually, quite remarkable. During the, uh, the lockdown, it, um, it was going at a reasonable pace. We were actually... Okay, we're a very small party, let's be honest. Um, but in our terms, it was growing quite uh, remarkably this year. So there's signs. We always hoped with a five-year parliament, we'd have a five-year opportunity between one election and another to actually do all this sort of stuff. Um, after 2015, we thought, right, okay, 2020, we'll aim for, um, try and build up some finances, which means more members, do a bit more. Um, we used to do stalls in towns uh, and hand out leaflets. A lot of it doesn't, it doesn't actually achieve very much. You get the odd one or two sometimes. But you'll find years later, someone will have picked up a leaflet and, and will suddenly contact you. We stopped doing all that. Um, we thought we could get more going, get ready for the 2020 election. And of course, then there was a referendum. And then there was a 2017 election, all of which left us unprepared. Um, so it, it, it is not easy. And I think we're now getting ourselves uh, in, a, in a better shape to try and move forward. Talking generally pre-COVID, how did everything work in terms of getting together and, and discussing these ideas? Well, we had regular meetings. Um, and they are quite laid back. I mean, we get quite heated in the in the AGMs and things, but we usually have a we usually have a break in the middle where we all go out for an extended pub lunch, and uh, it's a lot more a uh, lot more social and. Uh, have a bit of a laugh and point and something to eat. You're listening to Why Bother Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at why underscore bother underscore pod. And let's talk um let's talk sort of the election side of things then because you said you've joined um in the eighties when I suppose there was kind of a, a a lot of more movement, I suppose you could say. The eighty three election in particular, there were a lot of uh, people standing um, how was the the party sort of set up then? How was it as a as a place to be? Well, uh, it was founded, of course, in 1974 as as, a, uh, as one candidate, and then we went up uh, to seven candidates in 1979 and ten candidates in 1983. The, the loss of momentum uh, was caused at that point because the government raised the election deposit, uh, which is the, um, the sum of money that you have to put up front if you are standing as a parliamentary candidate. And if you don't, uh, if your share of the vote doesn't meet a certain threshold, that, that, that gets forfeited. Uh, it, it was £150 for a long, long time, and then it, it was 
uh, put up to 500 in the uh, in the mid 80s. Uh, that that was quite a blow for for us. Uh, we campaigned quite actively uh, against that, and the argument was put from you know, the government side that something had to be done to defer, deter uh, frivolous candidates. But it hasn't done that. All all that happens is that if you're a rich frivolous candidate, you can continue to stand. But if you're a serious party with um, unusual ideas, uh, but not a lot of money, uh, you get clobbered. Uh, so it was only by uh, the slow erosion of the value of money and the slow accumulation of our own uh, that uh, we were able to re-enter the, uh, the electoral fray at the end of the 1990s. And, and with the, the money side of things, obviously that's something that you, you look after at the moment. With the big parties, obviously Labour has a lot of, um, of uh, trade union uh, money comes in along with the donors. The Conservative Party exists purely off of donors pretty much. Um, they have things like big auctions for tennis games with Boris Johnson and, and such. Is It's not quite the same for, for the Wessex region list, I imagine. Oh, it's a very different world. Um, small parties generally have quite a hand-to-mouth existence. Uh, we rely very much on the generosity of, of members in terms of giving money and also giving time. Uh, but what they get back in return for that is that uh, they have the assurance that the party's policies are reflecting what the members want rather than what the, uh, the big donors want. Um, I think a lot of Conservatives are perhaps surprised to find that the uh, he who pays the piper calls the tune. And with, um, I suppose, with, with coronavirus as well, has that, has that given an, an added difficulty for, for Wessex or is it... Not really, I suppose, it be, not being an election period at the moment had, a, had much of an impact. It's not, a, it's not really affected our, our activities. Um, a lot of our work now is done online um, through social media. Uh, we're, we're looking at the possibility of, of holding our um, annual meeting online this year. I don't think the coronavirus has affected our, our, um, our activities to that, to that extent. And, and what, when it comes to the results tonight as well, what counts as a good result for these for standing in a seat when, I mean, if you look at the, the 2017 seat, you've got, a, you know, obviously the main parties in there as well. And um, you've got the Green Party tend to stand someone in there. The UKIP as well have been in there as well. What What is a good result? Is it just being amongst those guys? Is it, you know, is there a certain number that you tend to look for? We don't really have a sort of target of we're going to have the, this many votes because I don't think that's something you can really plan for. Up to the up to the voters, obviously. I mean, we just do it because we, we want to get the ideas out there. Because we think we're going necessarily going to win. Point. You've got to you've got to so slowly build up. Well, now, I will say that every constituency we stood in more than once, we have increased our share of the vote. So it is a question of building up a support base. Do you see the number of people voting for us actually increasing and from that getting new members? We've stood in places in the past and got 30 votes and probably lost members. And I suppose if, if there is a kind of end game involved, what would you say is that? Is there, a, are you kind of a, a policy, like an issue based candidate where, you know, you go in saying these are three or four things that need changing in the local area? Is there a wider ideology where you think, you know, maybe in a couple of decades or whatever time it is? where this is the thing that we've achieved that we've always set out to, to achieve? Well, I mean, we, we exist to get devolution. That, that's our number one priority. That, that's our raison d'etre, if you like, for um, being around. Um, but it's not just about getting um, devolution just for the sake of it. It's to do something with it 
can make a change, to make a difference. If we can get that message across, even if there's other people come in as Wessex Liberals or Wessex Tories, I don't care um, as a starter to get it going. But what we want is to be different from the, the Tory policies and the Liberal policies um, and actually do something for this area. The Wessex regionalists were in the midst of that vicious circle that so many parties face. A lack of instant appeal means attracting supporters is tough. With fewer supporters, there is little cash. With little cash, there is difficulty in generating election results. And with poor election results comes little media coverage and momentum in turn making it tough to attract supporters. A few months after talking to Nick, Jim and David, I brought them back together for a roundtable on the future of the party and for that crucial question of why bother. One interesting development since we last spoke to you is um, we've now got a couple of younger members who've set up a youth wing. Um, And they're now going to start um, working on lots of different social media that... um, uh, us blokes have never heard of before. I'm not sure they're going to be doing um, TikTok dances, but uh, no. they're going to be used, they're going to be trying to get the message out on other media. Um, so hopefully that will broaden the net for us. And um, and we spoke a little bit um, previously about sort of plans to to kind of maybe rebrand, get maybe the sort of professionalism of the party. I suppose is that um, is are those sort of plans that you guys still have? Is there perhaps I suppose with you guys going forward and, you know, saying get the youth involved and everything like that, is there perhaps a decision to be made as to whether you want to be a a professional kind of looking slick, really, you know, uh, modern party? Or is there almost a sense that you want to aim for that kind of rustic feel and a bit more personable and and that kind of approach? (laughs) Nick, this is more your field in terms of uh, the website and things. Well, um, well, I think one of the things with setting up a youth wing is you can split it up a bit because, um, you know, you can have young wyverns, as they're called, appealing to the the younger. Um, There's another group, I don't know if you've heard of them, the Northern Independence Party. They set up, uh, I think, at the end of last year. They they have a very sort of youthful approach, lots of uh, memes and stuff. It's attracted a lot of younger people, but I think it's also put off maybe some older and or more traditional types. Uh, you know, you get sort of snarky comments on their Twitter feed saying, why are you 12 or something? So I think um, I think with this Young Wyverns, you can have, you can take a sort of two-pronged approach. Maybe um, maybe have the main, the main stream of the party appealing to a, a slightly older demographic and the Young Wyverns appealing to the, uh, to the youth set. What what would you say perhaps is the the you know the next perhaps twelve months or so in terms of you say that's that's not quite the point you want to kind of get a wider message out what is that is that purely kind of social media and stuff you're trying to go off that or are you effectively kind of waiting for you know normality to return to get you know you're saying the stalls and that sort of stuff back out and going again? I think we're open to any ideas. Um, it's a question of how whether we can get the people behind it to actually go out and do these things. Um, or it's just left for the three of us. And it is difficult to get people to come along. If you have a meeting in a pub, it's easier. If you get them to go out and do anything, it's much harder. I mean, yeah. what you need is an, an issue where suddenly regionalism becomes a thing. I mean, the other thing we've been talking about is trying to find somebody who thinks the way we do that we might be able to attract 
not necessarily become a member, but at least to support uh, what we're saying, be able to use his name or her name um, in, in order to attract more attention. But it, it's it's finding the individual. I mean, you, you read a lot of stuff from people like Billy Bragg, who now lives in Dorset, who talks a lot about decentralization and the sorts of issues we're interested in, but he's labor through and through. So um, no point. Yeah, it's almost like you can't... If you know anybody in your area <laughs> who might be interested in us, whose name we could use, who's rich and famous, um, we'll have him, her. <laughs> it, it sounds like, a, I suppose, yeah, you're almost looking for a celebrity um, with... Yeah. It's almost like the... Um, who was it? The, the Queen guitarist and his badger culling. Brian May, wasn't it? Who was saying it, you should, it's almost yeah. like that sort of level that you're going for. Yeah, that's what we would like. I mean, there are a lot of pop, pop stars, rock stars, who live in the West Country, um, Phil Collins, Peter Gabriel, all these sort of people. Um, even, um, who's the one down in Westbury? I've forgotten her name. Anyway, there's, there's a lot of them around. Uh, it's just trying to find one. Chris Martin. None of them are interested. Well, well I mean, the Northern Independence Party just started with just a banner on a motorway bridge, didn't they? So um... They did. Yeah. Well, we could stick guerrilla marketing. Yeah. Mm. And if I can get kind of one area of confidence that you have, in the party for the next, you know, let's say six to 12 months, one area of concern that you might have. One area of confidence for the next 12 months is, uh, based on the way we've been running for the last 40 years, we'll still be here. The cause isn't going to die in the next 12 months. Uh, the concern is it's still going to be the way it is. It hasn't grown. It hasn't taken off, um, which is a perpetual concern. One of the things you mentioned about uh, younger people, it tends to be very much issues drawn rather than uh, a broad campaign and um, again that's, that's the point is we need to find um, a, a Wessex related issue that we can make something of and it's up to us to look for it and do something with it I think there's everything to play for in the uh, months and years ahead there's so much being reset at the moment with Covid and, and Brexit and the SNP drive towards independence the constitutional issues are not going to go away um, my concern is that things won't uh, change at the centre, um, that, um, you know, that the forces of the establishment will simply dig in ever deeper. But uh, I think ultimately, you know, as, as the older generations give way to the, the younger ones, newer ideas w- will come in and, and, and will prevail. You may well ask, why, why do we bother? But I think the answer is, why not? Uh, if you do nothing at all, you achieve nothing. If you do something, at least you keep op- the options open for the future that others will, will be able to make use of. Maybe that it will be that this this idea that you're pushing for comes through to light in you know the next few years or so, but maybe in a in a slightly different way or or something like that. Is that is that kind of you know or perhaps in, under a completely different you know if there's a, a new party that manages to sort of take the take the country by storm or something like that, would that be a scenario that you'd be kind of perfectly happy with, basically? Well, that's the thing about the future. You never know where it's going to go next. I don't hold up much hope of some of the party taking the country by storm, unless, unfortunately, it's got Nigel Farage behind it. <laughs> or someone like him, yeah. So as, as David's kind of given his answer then, Jim, what would you say for the, for the ultimate question of sort of why bother? Who, you know, the who or the what ultimately would you say that you're doing this for? One of the points David made was it's, it's keeping the candle burning, it's keeping it alive. We firmly believe that the idea of regionalism has got to be the way forward. Um, we are, even if England is left by itself, 
with Scotland and Wales departing, we'll still be the most centralised country in Europe without any form of regional democracy. So I think that issue is never going to go away. It has to be addressed sometime. And therefore, uh, we just have to be there to keep going for when that time arises. I think we're playing the long game, really. I think... I think there is a good chance that Scotland will become independent, that uh, Wales will, uh, not Wales, sorry, that Ireland will be reunited and that could pave the way for Wales and maybe Cornwall, maybe the north of England in the in the longer term. So, yeah, it is, it is keeping the flame alive, really. It's uh, hopefully passing, you know, it is, it is a very positive sign that young people are joining now and uh, that the torch may well be passed on to the next generation. There is a great deal of Britishness in the Wessex regionalist sense of getting on with the job regardless, as they try to break out not just a party, but also a little discussed identity into the mainstream. It is tough, but fortunately for Wessex regionalists, their policies and demands are rather popular across the country right now. The question is whether the people they represent really want to follow in the footsteps of the rabble-rousers seen elsewhere in the UK today. Thank you for listening to Why Bother Podcast. This has been episode three of the first series focusing on Britain's smallest political parties. I'll be back next week for the last episode of the series talking to the Liberal Party. Thank you very much for listening.